Hello everyone, how has your week been? I am recording this on a Friday morning, the end of a really intense week, now that the full year is in swing and flow. The holiday glow is a distant memory, the shine's somewhat muted. Um, I'm already starting to hear people talk about the mental emotional load that they're feeling encroaching on them and how their intentions that they'd set for the new year about keeping things in better balance and harmony are just kind of flying out the window. Um, so before I welcome my guest to the more formal part of today's recording, I want to talk about mental wellness in the context of our work lives. If I reflect back, it seems that 2020, the onset of the pandemic, was also the onset of massively increased awareness of mental health issues in the workplace, at schools, at home, with our kids, ourselves. People were really suffering all around us, and it felt like for the first time it was a topic of conversation that was unavoidable. And for the first time, people started to become more willing to talk about mental distress, anxiety, depression, burnout as a topic of conversation that was no, no longer in whispers. But as I discovered myself, those of us who have been privileged enough to afford mental health support and therapy and have therefore become comfortable talking about it, we're actually in the minority. It's kind of like a bit of an echo chamber. 2020 was a pretty horrific year for me personally, and I only just managed to keep it together due to my incredible support team of professionals, my EMDR therapist, my executive coach, my relationship counselor, my meditation teacher. I know it sounds all a bit bougie, but I recognized that this was a huge privilege, and I decided that I needed to offer mental health support to the Jackhammer team as a company benefit. I assumed that the only obstacle to taking up therapy of some sort was cost and time and I was fully committed to providing both. So at the beginning of 2021, I announced my somewhat hastily cobbled together and actually pretty poorly thought through, but very well-intentioned, mental health benefit to the Jackhammer team. And I received, I think, zero uptake. Two months later, I added some additional bits and pieces around ensuring confidentiality and sourcing recommendations for really great therapists. Still very little uptake, but there were a couple of nibbles here and there. A few months later again, okay, a few more people, but it took many, many presentations of the offer. And eventually I like put this ultimatum deadline that sounded a bit like use it or lose it until everyone who wanted and needed mental health support had actually signed up. And through that process, I realized actually how much stigma and suspicion employees have around taking up mental health benefits, even with the promise of confidentiality. They're still concerned about being seen as unstable, unwell, not resilient, flaking out, depressed, whatever, and that this might affect their employment status. And it took a lot of normalizing by me and a lot of in-practice proof to demonstrate that this really was an act of support and in no way affected my judgment of them. And so I I'm actually am kind of proud to say that we've continued with this benefit for our team. It's become very normalized, destigmatized, topic of conversation. People talk about their therapists and their therapy in conversations. So that's pretty cool. So I think one of the positive spin-offs of the pandemic, which brought mental health issues front and center, is that many more people were open to taking up therapy. The downside now is that there are not enough trained therapists out there in the world globally. And this is where my wonderful guest for this week's episode of On Work and Revolution comes in. So 
Let's go. Roll music. Welcome to On Work and Revolution, where we talk about what's shaking up in the world of work. I'm your host, Debbie Goodman. I'm CEO of Jackhammer Global, a global group of executive search and leadership coaching companies. I'm also an advisor to venture-backed EdTech founders. And for those of you in EdTech who are hiring, we have launched a fractional leaders offering. I'll put a link in the show notes. My main mission with all of my work is to help companies and leaders to create amazing workplaces where people and ideas flourish, which is why I am so happy to have as my guest today, Maria Barrera, who is founder and CEO of Clayful. So Clayful came on my radar a short while ago when they announced in the media about their recent fundraise with some top venture investors in the edtech space, which in the current market is a feat all in itself. Um, But it's actually no wonder that Clayful attracted investment capital. Clayful offers accessible, preventative mental health resources to families of all socioeconomic statuses with the intention to address the youth mental health crisis in the US. And we'll learn more about this in a bit. Now to introduce you to Maria. Maria was born in Colombia. She's a Stanford-educated engineer, and she formed part of the founding team of Nearpod, before founding Clayful in 2021, which to date has already impacted thousands of students across the country. And today we are going to be talking to Maria about what it takes to build a startup in the mental health space and about walking the talk about work-life balance and mental health in the context of startup life, which we all know can be really, really unbalanced and intense. A huge welcome to you, Maria. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for that amazing introduction. Okay, so first of all, what brought you to the mental health space to begin with? I've always been interested in psychology, even though I you know, did my, my degrees in engineering. My, let's say, elective time was spent learning about child psychology and child development. And my free time is always spent watching, you know, TV shows that have to deal with psychology. So it's always been a hobby of mine. Um, but really, it was this this article in the New York Times about the rising suicide rates in eight-year-olds that ultimately really changed my life, frankly. Uh, that, that moment when I read that, I'm like, how is it that we've gotten to a point where eight-year-olds not only know what suicide is, let alone carry on with that? Uh, it broke my heart and, and it made me realize I needed to do something about it. Goodness, that really is a, a thud in the heart. So tell us more about Clayful and the offering and how it helps to address this as well as more issues in the mental health space. When I first started getting into it, I really, my first approach was really, hey, let's learn about this space, right? Let's let's understand what's going on. Why are we in this situation? And where are there opportunities to to help and and build something that can really make an impact? And fundamentally, what I found is that it's there's a supply and demand problem, right? So if we look at that and we see, okay, there's not enough mental health professionals, which means that wait lists are you know two months to six months to two years. I've heard it's insane, right? And that also means that costs are skyrocketing right now you're paying 200 250 an hour for therapy 
And that means that a lot of people, a lot of young people in particular who need the support aren't getting it. When I start talking to clinicians, they tell me there's so much you can do from a preventative standpoint before a a young person even gets to talk to me. Putting all these pieces together and realizing, okay, there's, there's a big opportunity here and there's a gap to be filled. We started Clayful. So Clayful works with schools. And schools help us both on the financial aspect as well as the distribution, right? Like creating awareness to provide preventative, so helping kids before they reach a breaking point, mental health coaching. So it's not counseling, it's coaching. And the idea is that, hey, everybody can use a coach, right? You and I probably have coaches that we work with on an ongoing basis to help ourselves be better leaders, better, better moms, better parents, better family members, better sisters, right? Like there's so many ways in which we can continue to level up our skills uh, professionally and personally. And how, how can we give our young people that opportunity as well and not only provide support when something quote unquote breaks. Um, so that was really the vision behind the, the company. And what's been really powerful is it resonated with our school leaders. Yeah, I mean, I know that, uh, so my kids are high schoolers, and uh, I know that they do these SOS days, and they do a lot of social emotional well-being, and I guess that's all part of the um, sort of the quest for uh, intervention and preventative work, but we know that that is just a, a drop in the ocean, so it's really great to hear that there's uh, enough openness to really taking this on and for school leaders to be putting their money where their mouths are and actually paying for this kind of kind of service. Now let's go a little bit behind the curtain and dig into the paradox that we spoke about, um, which is that startup life is not a walk in the park, okay? It is highly pressurized. It's a total grind. There's no work-life balance a lot of the time we're just under, you know, I talk about we, I've just launched a new offering myself. So I've just been in, I am currently in startup mode too. So I remember what it's like, where it's just like, there's just too much to do, too little time. And everything that you intended to do with your own sort of looking after yourself just gets parked to the side, put way down on the priority list. And you just end up in the state of um, pressurized pressure cooker, anxiety, and exhaustion. So how do you handle this paradox considering that you're promoting mental well-being? I think about that a lot, as you can imagine. <laughs> There's so many different aspects of it. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is I am so motivated and so driven by this crisis, right? Like there are young people every day who are suffering a lot and who are taking their lives and taking others' lives. And there's so much pain and suffering in our world. And if we can do make a difference, like, and we are making a difference every day, like we get that feedback from students, then it's all worth it, right? So there's this layer of like, we're, we're working hard for a bigger purpose that's bigger than ourselves and really tackling one of society's like bigger, biggest problems that really drives, you know, it's kind of like the fuel that gets you up in the morning. So that's a big part of it. Uh, The second part is really trying to be intentional about, okay, where are, what are the things that you're, let's say like willing to sacrifice for that greater good? And where are the things that really, really matter to you where you're not, right? So for example, for me, I love sleeping. 
if I don't sleep, I become a zombie <laughs> and I am not a nice person to be around. My family will attest to this. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I designed my schedule in my life so that I can get enough sleep. And that means in my calendar, I will actually put like in the early morning, like I, I, I have a sleeping block and I also motivate or, or inspire a team to do the same, right? So if there are things that really matter to them, like they need to take that walk out and, and get some fresh air, like do that for yourself. If you need to really take those two hours when your kids get home to connect and fill your cup with that familial connection, like please do that, right? So really it's like being in tune to, okay, what drive, what helps fill your cup and what's going to help you be the best, you know, on the field and off the field so that we can do the best work because the, be- our, because the kids deserve our best work. Well, first of all, I think that you putting sleep as your priority and not glorifying the lack of sleep is a huge step in the right direction. I sort of grew up thinking that I, I know I remember saying, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I kind of glorified the fact that I only needed sort of four or five hours of sleep to just keep keep on going and going. And when I was in my 20s, that was one thing, but uh, not so much later on. And I think that, you know, when it comes to normalizing certain types of behaviors, it has to come from the leader. Everything else will flow. And yes, it is a startup, but if you're saying these are my priorities and your priorities don't have to be mine, we don't have to have the same priorities, but I'm really being out there. I'm coming out as somebody who needs their sleep. Therefore, you guys put in your priorities in order to maintain a a level of balance. I think that's really the key to it all, honestly. You worked in a startup previously at Neopart. I know that I learned a lot of my own lessons about what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do in my own company through the, you know, through my first, my first formative work experience. I learned a lot out of that. And I'm curious to know, what did you take out of that, that you're like, I'm never doing that, or I really want to try and enhance, you know, this or that. We're keen to know what you've, what you've left behind and discarded and what you've sustained. I, I joke that the, that near part of it was my startup boot camp, <laughs> right? You get to see all the good, the bad, uh, learn a ton, and really go through, you know, the ringer in some ways. I I think like the th- the areas that really resonate with me is like being so in tune and aware of our user, right? At near part, it was all about the teacher, really thinking about what is best for them. How do we build a product for them? Like now, we do that a lot for our students and for. Our, our administrators, what Nearpod did well too is we we kept that user feedback loop really present, both at the teacher and at the administrator level. And that means like you mentioned earlier, it's like actually being schools being able to pay for a service like this means you have to know how they pay for it, why they pay for it, what's their need, what you know, every single stakeholder has a reason why they would be interested or not interested in what you're offering really understanding that and feeling really connected. You know, like one of the things that I remember during interviews, anyone who would in any way like talk down to teachers or disrespect the important work that they do, it was an automatic no, right? Uh, so really keeping that voice of the customer and like connection to our user, again, like drives that impact in so many ways and helps us feel like, oh, these are 
like the 15,000 students that we're supporting, they're not just data points. They're like real people and real humans. And like we have, there are kids, right? So that key, I learned a lot of that from Nearpod and we're very much aligned with that. Nearpod, so was also a, this was pre-pandemic. We had a hybrid team. So some people were in the office, some people were, were remote. And to think about the talk about the things that, you know, I kind of left behind. Um, I I wasn't a huge fan of the hybrid culture. Uh, it created a lot. It, it created sort of second class citizens in some way, right? Like you had people in an office, some people in an office forging deep relationships, some people far away that weren't really able to get that same access to either connection or information. Um, so kind of leveling the field for everybody. Uh, I find that to be really, really important. Um, so when we, you know, trying to do events with the whole company uh, and bringing everyone together in person to forge those relationships, but other than that, it's really all remote based. You're fully remote. We're fully remote. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I was curious. I thought you 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 brought everybody into the office. That would have been a, a, a surprise move. Yeah. I mean, you really have pointed out one of the biggest issues around hybrid um, that we absolutely are seeing the data on now is that those who come in and where it's not structured in in a specific way um, will definitely have access to career advancement, great opportunity, um, relationship development, learning, putting people who are working remotely definitely at a career disadvantage. So although they feel like they have more flexibility, it's not necessarily always in their best interest and it's really, really tough to manage. So um, very cool to hear that you decided to take the leap and equal the playing fields all remote, but still nevertheless bring people together periodically for the work that requires in-person interaction. And it's, it's hard, right? Like building culture remotely is hard, right? So it's a different type of hard. Yeah, it's so much more intentional. I mean, I speak to a lot of people who, who are firm believers in that it is impossible to build culture remotely and others who really believe that if you put the intentionality around it, you will be able to do that and do it extremely effectively. Um, But it just takes more thinking. Okay, I want to switch now to a term you used previously in our conversation, which I was really intrigued by and I thought I knew what you meant, but I want to clarify, you used the term work shaming. And I want to know what you mean by that. (laughs) So I, I do a lot of work with Stanford's entrepreneurial programs, um, particularly working with young, some of the junior seniors who are thinking about what their careers are going to look like. And I remember having a conversation with one of them around, like they're really interested in startups, really interested in entrepreneurship. And uh, they were doing an internship, but they were working really hard. And their friends were shaming them for, for it. Right, So it was this, like, oh, why do you have to work so hard? Why are you working so hard? Like, you don't need to work that hard. Um, like, wh- why are you essentially like sacrificing your life for work? And and she was really struggling with that because she feels so connected and so much. There's so much value in her work, and it's in a lot of ways like a reflection of her. And like, it it, it does. It's not that it fully defines her self worth, but it's a big part of it, right? And and she's very passionate about it, and feeling shame for working on something that she cared about was really, really hard. So this is something we talk about too, because of our remote environment. Like when, when I was at Nearpod, we had an office in San Francisco. So we, I, I was connected with other sort of young professionals that were also interested in startups and who were also 
excited about the grind and like working hard on something. And when you have a remote team that where in prop in areas where the startup world is not as well known, they're like, oh wait, like I I clock off at three four p.m. and like I'm done. Why are you still working? And it's really hard for people to sort of get their minds around why you would want to continue working when when if working feels like it's always a value detractor instead of a value sort of builder um, or creator. So it's again something we're thinking a lot about and like how do we help our team members create community of people who are excited about work as a value creator or value in their own lives um, versus always like something that's a negative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I think, you know, we went through that era last year or the last couple of years of the quiet quitting mm-hmm. generation where that seems to have also faded away uh, for some, some reason or another. I think it was a, a sort of a term that got a lot of media attention, but really the idea that people were giving too much of themselves to their organizations and not getting enough in return. And that unequal quid pro quo was, which was, was driving the idea of sacrifice. And um, I think when you have optimal engagement, people who love what they do and they feel like they really are getting rewarded, not just financially, but also through so many other ways. Um, what an amazing gift. I mean, I personally have always loved my work in the various iterations that, it's, um, that I've had it. It's such a huge part of my identity. I get so much satisfaction. I love the people I work with. I nevertheless have also heard throughout my life and career, oh, you're too driven. You work too hard. And particularly as a woman, you prioritize your work over your family, your children, your friends, your et cetera, et cetera. And that can really be a source of shame and guilt. The moment a, a woman gets into the, the family phase of life, it's just constant guilt. And to then hear that from sort of, you know, acquaintances and friends that you're sort of prioritizing something that you might actually really love and feel like you're having such a huge impact in and nevertheless feel bad about, that's a real pity. So um, I do like the idea of bringing this to light and being able to talk about how we can have uh, work as a really robust, thriving, exciting part of our lives as we would any hobby as any other relationships. Granted, there is the unhealthy edge to that. And I guess that's what we're, you know, we want to watch out for. Uh, I like this conversation very much. And I'm going to use work shaming uh, in, um, in a few more of my conversations in the, in the upcoming weeks. Okay, so um, you're clearly engaged with a lot of people in the startup world, uh, people who are emerging into that. What recommendations do you have for founders who are entering the startup world now uh, where it's particularly tough to raise money. It's, it's a harsh environment in all sectors. And I actually read an article in Insider Magazine a, a little while ago, maybe a few weeks ago, which said that one of the biggest issues arising with venture-backed founders is for 2024 is going to be an overwhelming um, mental health issues due to just the ongoing pressure and constant uh, avalanche of, of challenges that they're going to encounter. So I'm curious to know what you would say to somebody who says, oh, I'm excited to get into, to be an entrepreneur. Can't wait. I have three things that come to mind. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. the first is there's a lot of really interesting things happening in technology. 
across the board, right? You're seeing the rise of AI, you're seeing all these different capabilities. Focus on a problem, not just a technology, right? Like I dove in and it's like, there's a big problem to solve. How do we do that? I think when you do that, you're more passionate about the work that you're doing because you can more easily connect to the user and you're more likely to build something that can create real value, <laughs> right? So that, that will help you build a better business because there's a, there's a real need, right? Otherwise, there wouldn't be a problem. So I talk to a lot of people like, I just want to start a company. I just want to start a company. It's like, why? <laughs> it's like, don't start a company, solve a problem. And then if the problem's big enough, you will have to start a company because like you can't keep it to yourself, <laughs> right? So that's the first. Um, the second is kind of going back to our original conversation around like really think about what matters to you and what are, let's say like your non-negotiables as you go through a really hard period, right? Especially that phase of, you know, think of like a ball of yarn, where like everything's all over the place, right? And you're sort of trying to figure out what what's next and where the next step is going to take you it's going to it's going to feel like three steps forward five steps back and it's messy and that's okay think about the things that like, you won't let go of so whether like it's sleep that matters to you whether it's like making sure that you have time for your family your friends that will again fill your cup in different ways and it can be hard to prioritize that when you're like in a stuck moment so really making a conscious effort to like, I am not going to cancel these plans or I'm not going to not do this thing that I committed to committing that to that with yourself, I think is really important when you're in that, that muck. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and then the third thing is really, <laughs> I mean, this isn't the, the most unique one, but like get used to rejection, right? Like not everybody is going to like what you're building. Not everybody's going to resonate uh, with like the problem that you're trying to solve. And that's okay. You don't have to convince the whole world that what you're doing matters. You just have to convince the people who care, right? Like whether it's the, the investors that see it and want to give you the money or whether it's the people that you're solving the problem for. Uh, there's a lot of people who it won't resonate with and that is okay. It can be really, really hard, hard to take that and like it can feel really personal. And when you realize, you know what? There just wasn't a connection here. Like, move on, go to the next thing. But like, don't internalize internalize that in a way that harms you and and makes it feel that like you're not good enough, uh, because that that then creates those those negative cycles. Yeah, I think that that last one is probably the the like really really good advice. I see for myself. I come up with a great idea. I put all the strategy together, the plans, start with execution, and things are never going to go in a straight line. And as many times as I have done this, I have launched many offerings and many new ideas and many new businesses. And it's still that moment of is somebody going to like it? And invariably, there are going to be some who are not interested. It's not for them. But it's your baby. And so people take it really, really personally. And we've all just got to get, you know, if you're going to get out there and you're going to put yourself out there in the, in the world, part of it is just thickening your skin and just letting it go and moving on. And so great advice there, Maria. Lastly, what are you particularly excited about for 2024? Um, what can we see, expect to see from you and Clayful this year? 
2023 was such an amazing year and we we went from wait what is it that you're building to like oh my god this is amazing like how do I get this mm-hmm. <laughs> and how do I get this for my students so in 2024 we're really growing our team to be able to support more of those uh, amazing educators and amazing students across the country uh, so really seeing the I guess, execution of this go from my co-founders and I brain to a small team to now an even larger team and and seeing the passion that comes from that and, and seeing the different points of view and the different ideas that come from um, b- building out the team. That's really, really exciting to me. Uh, it also will help me get more sleep, which we're happy about too. <laughs> uh, but most importantly, it's really that the impact that Life Playful is having. We're, we're starting to see data on the increases in attendance, decreases in anxiety and depression symptoms. And for a, you know, quote unquote, simple solution, right? You get to connect with a coach in 60 seconds. It's just so powerful to see the the impact that we're having in, you know, every single one of those 15,000 students. So hoping to get that to, you know. 10x this year. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I am going to hope that for you too, because you have got a, there is a massive problem that needs solving and sounds like Clayful is on the path to doing that. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for your team and the work that they do. And thank you for joining me today. This has been a fabulous conversation and best of luck for an amazing 2024. Thanks, Maria. Thank you. Thanks for hanging around all the way to the end. It would mean the world if you would rate and review on Work and Revolution on your favorite listening app. It helps people know that the show is worth listening to. And so I'll really appreciate that. Thank you so much.